You're listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Join us as we have a fun conversation with certified experts and physicians about health topics for you and your family. It's Your Best Life, our one purpose. Joining us once again, Dr. Ravi Vermuri from Mercy One Des Moines Medical Center, making some time for us today between some important meetings about the vaccine, which we are just now getting this week. So first off, thanks a lot for making some time for us again. Nice to be with you again. Uh, You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. So I understand, doctor, that you've actually received the COVID vaccine. So tell us a little bit about your experience with that and how you've been feeling so far. Yeah, so I uh, got it on uh, Tuesday uh, at about one o'clock in the afternoon. So it's been a little less than 48 hours. And uh, so far, I've had uh, no ill effects, really no side effects. I have a little twinge of uh, pain in the left arm where I got it. But the pain is very minimal, like on a scale of one to 10, it may be one. It doesn't interfere with anything that I have to do. I have no fever, no body aches, no malaise, nothing like that. And that'll obviously, that could be different depending on each individual, their own experience. But but for the most part, um, in your experience, not a whole lot there. That's correct. In the study, uh, the Pfizer trial that was uh, published last week in the New England Journal, the side effects, uh, 90% of the people have very mild or moderate side effects. Only 10% have what are considered grade three side effects, meaning uh, severe enough to prevent them from carrying on their activities of daily living, like going to work, et cetera. And typically these side effects were found to be more prominent after the second dose. So, So the first dose was very minimal. And even the second dose was mild uh, and, and, and what people should remember is if you do experience some of these uh, side effects, that's actually a good thing. That shows you that your immune system is actually kicking into high gear and, and processing the antigen and making antibodies, which will then hopefully uh, protect you when you come across the real virus. Dr. Vermeeri, I see this vaccine as a sign of hope for everybody. I mean, moving forward, getting healthier as a nation. And I guess what I want to know is what would you say to those people out there, those frontline workers out there that are still leery about taking this vaccine? What I would say to them is that, uh, you know, we've been battling this thing for about uh, 10 months or so. And uh, the ability to even have these vaccines so soon after the pandemic started is, a, is an amazing feat. On average, it takes about 10 to 12 years from inception to actually getting a vaccine approved. And here uh, we're having two vaccines approved within, uh, you know, like 11 month time span, which is truly amazing. Uh, the science behind this has been uh, going on for almost two decades. People should remember that uh, SARS-CoV-2 is a coronavirus very similar to the two previous coronaviruses that caused serious illness. Uh, People can remember from back in around 2001, we had the original SARS virus, SARS-1, that's a coronavirus. And then 10 years later, we had the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, so-called MERS, 
Uh, that's also a coronavirus, very similar to this one. And now, 10 years later, we've had this one. So people that have been researching those two, uh, they've learned quite a bit in these 20 years. And then when this thing rolled around in January, uh, there were all kinds of labs and researchers and investigators who had a lot of experience with coronaviruses, and they were able to jump right in and come up with this technology. They've been uh, fantasizing about this technology for quite some time, and suddenly this pandemic appears, and, and they're able to put their uh, all the work that they've done for the past 20 years to work and, and come up with uh, this technology. So... Uh, what I would say to people that may be sitting on the fence is there's nothing to be afraid of. These uh, vaccines have been tried in nearly 74,000 uh, participants so far in the phase three trial. And then out of those 74,000, half of them uh, got the vaccine, half got placebo. So over 30,000 people have already received this and there have not been any serious uh, adverse events related to the vaccine. And of course, I got mine uh, just a little less than 48 hours ago, and I've had very minimal pain in my arm, no fever, no body aches, no muscle aches. I'm feeling perfectly fine. And so, uh, you know, th those, those of us that are on the front lines, we need to, uh, you know, take this vaccine, protect ourselves, so we can uh, remain healthy to take care of people as this uh, pandemic slogs on. But, but having these vaccines certainly is uh, uh, a nice uh, light at the end of this long, dark tunnel. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, that additional context with the research that's gone in to previous coronaviruses. I think a lot of people, um, especially when you look at news coverage or what people might be saying on social media, we're, we're so focused on this year. And obviously, there's trying to been trying to find a solution as soon as possible. So when you only look at it at this year, it seems like this has moved very fast. But when you add in that additional context that coronaviruses have been studied for 20 years, that should make a lot of people feel better. Um, you were talking a little bit about your short term side effects. Are there any long term type of side effects that people would want to know about that we know about so far? So that's an excellent question. And at this point, of course, uh, they've been in phase three trials only since July. And so we only have, uh, what, five months of experience with them. And th there's really n nothing has popped up. And if, if you just understand the biology of what this vaccine's trying to do, both the Moderna and Pfizer, there's really uh, no biologic reason to think that there will be any long-term effects. So let me try to explain. So what the uh, vaccine does is it takes a, uh, what's called a messenger RNA, which is a uh, genetic code that uh, people have synthesized in the lab uh, by studying the genes of the SARS-CoV-2 or the COVID-19 virus. So as soon as this virus became isolated in China, they posted the genetic code for it on uh, these various molecular biology websites. And the molecular biology people looked at this and started uh, right from the get-go, started figuring out you know, how we can use this genetic code to 
uh, help us uh, create a vaccine. So uh, the, this particular couple in Germany, uh, they're, they're actually Turkish immigrants to Germany. They started their own company called BioNTech. So apparently uh, he, he, he uh, downloaded the genetic code and uh, in a period of 48 hours, developed the messenger RNA, which then has become now the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, so it's a collaboration between Pfizer, a huge uh, American pharmaceutical company, and this small biotech company out of Germany called BioNTech. So this, this messenger RNA gets injected into our arm. And if, if uh, people remember from high school biology, uh, we have DNA and RNA, and this RNA enters our cells and uses our cells machinery to churn out what are called the spike proteins of the coronavirus. That, that is the uh, so-called spike protein that attaches or gives the coronavirus the ability to attach to our cells and infect our cells. So this messenger RNA, this genetic code that the vaccine is providing our body is that it induces some of our cells to produce this spike protein, which is a totally useless protein for us. It's, it's actually a foreign protein. And our immune system is able to recognize this spike protein and then produce antibodies. So then, uh, you know, weeks, months down the road, when a real coronavirus enters our system and tries to use its spike protein to enter our cells, uh, there'll be no entry because our immune system will uh, we'll recognize it. Uh, it, it knows what it is, it creates the antibodies and goes and blocks it, prevents it from entering our cells. So that's the mechanism of how the vaccine works. So there's really nothing in that biology that would lead one to think that there would be any serious uh, downstream effects. We're not using uh, like a whole live virus, we're not using like mouse proteins or chimpanzee proteins or anything. This is basically pure genetic code of the spike protein that people have synthesized based on their study of the virus genome and, and, and then inducing our cells or tricking our cells into producing this component, which by itself is totally useless. It has to be attached to the virus to do anything to us. And we're only inducing it so that our immune system is tricked into thinking that, uh, oh, the, you know, we're being invaded by this virus. It's a foreign protein. It doesn't belong to us. And uh, uh, we make antibodies and then uh, it, uh, those antibodies then prevent, they, they attach to this protein and prevent it from entering our cells uh, when the real virus comes around. I think how you describe it in such a layman's term is, is one, interesting how the biology of this all works, but two, I think anybody listening to this will completely understand the terms in which you, you, you talked about that. So with that being said then, doctor, what, as far as the vaccination goes, how long do they think this vaccination will last? And you're talking about the immunity. The immunity of it, yes. That, that, that's an excellent question. And I, I, you know, only time will tell. So let me give you an example of this. The people that participated in both these studies, they will be studied for the next two years. So as, uh, uh, as we get farther and farther out from the conclusion of the study, uh, 
you know, periodically those people will be approached by the investigators to submit some blood samples and to see if they still have neutralizing antibody and how much do they have. And then we will also be studying them uh, almost on a monthly basis, probably to make sure, uh, you know, did they, did they get COVID-19? They'll probably periodically test them to make sure they didn't asymptomatically get it. They'll also do tests to see even if they got it, are they capable of transmitting? That, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, of many questions that are unanswered. And that is, is this, uh, does this vaccine not only prevent clinical disease in the people that get it, but even if they get it uh, and they're relatively asymptomatic, will it prevent them from shedding and transmitting to others? Because that's how you break the chain. And, and actually people are proposing that further studies be done on this, for example, in healthy young college students who, for, for example, maybe next fall, they'd be ready to go to college. Maybe we still have the virus hanging around. They would uh, vaccinate, you know, maybe 200 of them and then 200 of them they wouldn't vaccinate. And they would observe to see how many get infected and how many transmit to others. Uh, so the, those types of studies might still be uh, down the road. But uh, to get back to your question, uh, we really don't know how long the immunity will last, but if it's like other viruses, uh, hopefully uh, it, it'll last for a few years. Uh, periodically, we might need boosters. Uh, that's a big unknown right now. Well, so you mentioned a little bit about the transmission and how the vaccine might play into that. I think at this point, it's really important to note that even people who, are, uh, to, who do get the vaccination, we still need to wear a mask. We still need to socially distance. We still need to wash our hands. That doesn't stop, right? Absolutely. That, that still remains the most important, simplest, and most effective way of uh, getting to the other side of the pandemic. The vaccine certainly will help, but th th those, those things that we've been harping on for 11 months that people tend to get tired of hearing about and tired of doing, uh, the message is, uh, don't get tired of it now. Now's the time to remain vigilant, especially heading uh, into the colder months here. It's already cold, but even colder. And then heading into the holiday season where people will, you know, just want to get together, uh, you know, try to keep your uh, family bubbles as tight as possible. Uh, keep it to a small number of people. And most people feel that you need to have minimum 70% uh, of the population immune to it before this virus. Uh, it might take a good uh, uh, one to two years. Just depends upon what kind of uh, uh, roadblocks we come across in terms of production, distribution, all the logistics involved. Uh, now, you know, we have these two, but there are actually 10 in advanced trials. So we theoretically could have three or four more vaccines available uh, by spring, which would be good. The more we have, the better, because of course, companies can only make so much uh, of the vaccine. And, and, and not only do we have to worry about the 330 odd million people that we have here, but we have to worry about the seven to 8 billion that are there in the world. So wherever it is in the world, if it's still circulating, there's a risk of it coming back here, even though we get a lot of our people immunized. So, you know, uh, a good chunk of the world needs to be protected. And all of this is going to take a few years. Uh, so as uh, 
bothersome as some of these things are, uh, we still need to keep doing them, uh, wearing our masks and washing our hands, watching our distance and keeping our uh, bubbles small, family bubbles small, uh, until uh, we have a sustained decrease in local transmission. Right now, if you look at a map of transmission, there are very few counties in the U.S., that are so-called yellow or green zones where they have managed to drive down the community transmission enough. We are still red hot here in Iowa. We're trending better, but we're still red hot. The the key figure that uh, those of us that follow this look at is something called the uh, seven-day moving average of active cases per 100,000 population. So for example, Polk County this morning, I think when I looked at it, it was 51.5. So that's still in the red zone. Anything above 25 is still considered uncontrolled spread. Uh, And then from uh, 10 to uh, 25 is considered the orange zone. And then from uh, 1 to 10 is considered the yellow zone. And then you have to be below 1 per 100,000 population on a seven-day running average to be in the green zone. So we still got a long ways to go. So until community transmission is is kept at bay and halted for the most part, we all still need to be doing our part. I want to go back to something you had mentioned just a little bit before uh, this. This is a pandemic. It's it's worldwide. Um, I think I heard this morning that us and the UK are the only ones that now have... um, okayed the vaccination. So all these other countries still are not on board yet to start the vaccinations in their own country. Is that why it's going to take some time to kind of get rid of this in the next one or two years? Or is is countries going to follow us very shortly with giving their, their populations vaccinations? I, I think, uh, you know, Canada has probably okayed both the Moderna and the Pfizer. And, and, and the more countries that approve it, the more demand that there is going to be for it. And, and that's going to put constraints on supply. So, like I said, there are about a total 10 uh, in advanced trials. These just happen to be the first two. The next one up that's closest to being approved is probably the British one, the so-called AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine. That's a slightly different approach uh, using a uh, inactive, uh, harmless chimpanzee adenovirus to deliver the genetic material to our immune system. That's a slightly different approach. But uh, uh, like that, there there are seven others after that. Now, uh, it should be uh, understood by people that the Russians developed one, they call it Sputnik V but they, do, they did kind of things backwards compared to how we do it here in the West. They didn't really test it on anyone. They just started giving it. So they've vaccinated almost uh, 2 million people already, but they really didn't submit any data for anyone to look at. Supposedly, they're collecting data you know, after the fact, uh, which is kind of the backwards from, from the way we look at it. The Chinese have a couple... Uh, that they've been using. They've been using mostly for their military. They've had a couple million doses. So, uh, and then India has several that are in trial. So uh, yeah, uh, we, we have seven or 8 billion people that we need to vaccinate, but there are uh, multiple vaccines out there being developed. Uh, and, and you're right, as far as the Moderna and Pfizer one are concerned, uh, 
so far, I think just the US, the UK, and uh, possibly Canada have approved. I think the European Union just announced today they're going to start vaccinating on December 28th. So yeah, as this thing gets into high gear, there'll be a lot of demand for these. Uh, and so people will just have to be patient until it's their turn in the prioritization to get the vaccine. And, and, and even after they get it, like you said, we still need to be very careful and, mo and monitor ourselves and keep our bubbles small and watch our distance, wash our hands and uh, wear a mask. All right. Well, I know we only have about 10 more minutes with you before you have to get off to the next important meeting about the vaccine. But I have a few um, frequently asked questions, I guess, if we can move through a few just kind of rapid fire lightning round, if you, if you have a, a couple minutes to do that. Okay, go ahead. All right, here we go. So if somebody has already had the virus, should they get the vaccine? That's an excellent question. So the guidance is, we believe that natural immunity uh, for most people lasts about 90 days and the antibody titer starts to wane after natural infection. It also depends upon how severe your natural infection was. Those that were in the ICU uh, that were deathly ill and they survived, they tend to have a much stronger immune response. Those that got very mild or totally asymptomatic infection, didn't even feel a thing, they probably don't have as strong of a response. Uh, although rare, people can get reinfected. We have documented at least five people here at Mercy that have been reinfected. That is, they've had infection once and then after a time uh, got reinfected. So, so the uh, uh, answer to the question is, even those that have been infected need to get the vaccine, but you need to wait 90 days before you uh, get the vaccine. So if it's within 90 days and you're offered vaccine, you know, go to the back of the line, let somebody else who didn't get the vaccine get it. And then when it's the 91st day uh, or any time after that, you can get the vaccine. All right, here's another one of our frequently asked questions. How will the vaccine interact with other medications that someone might be taking? Since it's a just a molecule uh, uh, and, and you get 0.3 ml in the case of the Pfizer vaccine uh, injected into you, it, it, it's a, a genetic coded molecule. So it really has nothing to do with any other medications. So th there'll be no interaction. And uh, you can get, uh, you know, even other vaccines while you're getting this vaccine. You would just get it in, at a different site. So kind of up the same alley, what about allergies? Some people are allergic to, uh, might have an allergic reaction. What about that? So uh, a, a very famous allergist named, uh, uh, I can't remember her first name now, but her last name, L. Kimberly, Dr. Kimberly Blumenthal. Uh, is a renowned allergist. And she, uh, in the ID Twitterver, she commented on this uh, concept of allergy to vaccines. Uh, what most people are allergic to, those that say that they're allergic and that truly have a proven allergy, they're allergic to what are called excipients in the vaccines. These are molecules that are helped to stabilize whatever is in the vaccine. And, and they go by, there's a a certain chemical called PEG, P-E-G, and there's another chemical called polysorbate, which is some sort of uh, sugar alcohol. And the very minute quantities of these materials in these vaccines. And some people 
are truly allergic to them. So if you've had a serious uh, anaphylactic or you know very serious reaction where you couldn't breathe and you needed to be given epinephrine to bring you out of it after a vaccine, you should consult with the allergist uh, before you take the vaccine. But the vast majority of us uh, will not have any allergy issues. And as this becomes more widely available, I know we encourage anyone 16 and up to get vaccinated if possible, but are there any type of individuals out there that actually should not get the vaccine? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So because we're in the midst of a pandemic and we're trying to uh, achieve a certain level of herd immunity, there are very few people who should not get it. Now, it has not been studied in people below the age of 16. So definitely they should not get it. But Moderna is actually conducting a trial in people under the age of 16 with about 3000 participants. So as soon as those results become available, I think um, you know this, uh, the Moderna one will be approved for kids if, if, if that trial is positive. It has also not been studied in pregnant and lactating women. So the emergency use authorization issued by the FDA cautions and, and precisely states that hasn't been studied in this population, so they can't really recommend it. But having said that, the society, there's a society called the Society for Maternal and Fetal Medicine. That society made the following statement. They said uh, nearly 75% of frontline healthcare workers are women, and a large percentage of those uh, uh, frontline uh, female healthcare workers are of childbearing age or lactating age, and they're at high risk for complications for COVID-19. So even though there are no studies, they, uh, that particular society, which is a huge professional society of obstetricians and gynecologists, said that uh, lactating and pregnant women should get it. So uh, as far as the, our, our hospital policy, what we've said is, those lactating and pregnant women that want to get it should discuss it with their obstetrician, uh, their pediatrician, and, and then if they say it's okay, then we'll give it. Um, so it's, it's a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, you know, if, if I were a female and I was pregnant or I was lactating, I think I probably would take it, but, uh, you know, you'd have to have that discussion uh, anyone out there who's thinking about it would need to have that discussion with their obstetrician and or their pediatrician. I have one last question for you uh, before I let you go. Um, and that is about another tool that was just announced that is our in our fight against this. And that is that the this week, the FDA, I believe, approved an over-the-counter um, COVID test. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that are, as soon as, uh, as soon as it's available at my local drugstore, I'm going to go buy one. Uh, it's supposed to be about $40. And I'm going to, you know, submit to the testing and see how it works. Um, my assumption is it's going to be what's called a rapid antigen test, not necessarily the more sophisticated PCR testing. Uh, so the antigen test, if, if you're having any symptoms of COVID-19, the CDC has defined the 11 symptoms. So if you have any of those 11 symptoms, like loss of smell, loss of taste, fever, cough, shortness of breath, sore throat, runny nose, 
muscle aches, body aches, headache, uh, diarrhea, if you have any of those symptoms in the midst of this pandemic, it's worth your while to get tested as quickly as possible to make sure you don't have COVID because if you have it, then, you know, you can isolate yourself and prevent infecting others. That's, that's the key. And ideally, if we had uh, a system where we, where people could just walk up and uh, without any doctor's appointment, get tested in some places you can, but unfortunately uh, that type of testing is not evenly available everywhere in this country. It, it all depends upon where you live and, and you know, just non-medical sure. people who have no knowledge of the medical system still find it very difficult to access testing. So in-home testing uh, is a good way to provide easy access to everyone, uh, provided, uh, you know, you have $40. That's not necessarily that cheap. Uh, but anyway, if you have symptoms and that test tests positive, that's a pretty good test. If you have symptoms and that test is negative, then we really can't depend upon that test. We have to confirm with a more traditional PCR test. So when, when this test becomes available in Des Moines, uh, I'm actually going to go out and, and give it a trial run to see how it works. Well, I, I know you've got places to be, and uh, I just once again want to thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule to just uh, make some time for us to help make sense of all this stuff. It's a lot of uh, information that comes in very rapidly. Thanks. Bye-bye. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Ravi Vamuri from our Mercy One Des Moines Medical Center. He's been on a few times now to make sense of a lot of this uh, pandemic stuff. And so glad that he could join us once again as the vaccine for the first time is, is starting to show up in, in different hospitals across the country. We know you have some questions, so if you want to send us that uh, feedback, go ahead and head over to the submission form at mercyone.org slash podcast. You can also send us an email at podcast at mercyhealth.com. Mercy.